Off the Brawl on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. He's right in front of me and I can honestly tell him that I'm going to knock him spark out. Leaping right hand by the Prince. Ooh. And a hard left. And Kelly's down for the third time. Whoa! He's for real. Unbelievable. For real. One more touchdown. And Cardinal has gone. Bernard Dunn is the champion of the world. Bernard Dunn is the champion of the world. All right, so welcome along to a Cinco de Mayo edition of Off the Brawl, your boxing show here on Off the Ball. Delighted to be joined as ever by former middleweight champion of the world, Andy Lee. Andy, how are things? Good, 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 good. Same as every other day <laughs> since the last since the last one. That's a good while now. Yeah, it's a few weeks now. Pretty nice. Yeah, time is irrelevant, isn't it? Time is just an invention, and exactly. Well, you know, metaphysical, just. I don't even know what day it is. We're getting we're getting loads of bank holidays, and yet we should be saving these for the end of the year. We should just defer them or something. I keep missing the bin. I keep missing the bins. I keep defer. <laughs> I turn around and oh, no, it was two days ago they supposed to be put out. So the bins are building up out here in the garden. Same. <laughs> uh, Phil is also here. Phil, how are things? Good. Yeah, yeah. You gotta get a text alert set up for the bins. <laughs> yeah, well, my guy's not that, uh, he's not that sophisticated. There's not a lot of calls around and collects them and he's a sound, sound, sound old fella. <laughs> Phil, more so than most people I know, you have an insatiable appetite for live sports. So what are you doing to substitute uh, that? I, I, I don't have a substitute. Like I, I started watching the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance, right? And because people would say would you watch documentaries or would you read books and I actually haven't really been doing any of that because yeah live sport is the thing like the the unpredictable that's what mm. I love about live sport not knowing what's going to happen and yeah my, my days are just kind of lost without it so obviously I'm still doing my regular shift Monday to Friday and so I actually I have no problem with the days of the week because that's keeping me kind of in touch with what day of the week even what dates it is because if I'm saving audio I'm saving it with dates or whatever mm. but then when I finish at two o'clock it's like I'm literally just going for a walk going for a run the weather's been brilliant I'm not far from the seaside it's the two kilometers like it gets me to the seaside so myself and my wife are walking a lot the dog is getting like the dog has gone to elite levels of fitness <laughs> she's probably thinking I preferred being on the couch but she is as fit as a fiddle now. she could probably do 15 rounds the way this is going um, oh yeah yeah definitely she'd be ready for the championship rounds anyway <laughs> the thing about the last dance you mentioned it's documentary but because of the way it's happening and it feels like live sport because everyone's talking about it week, week on week so have you enjoyed it so far oh yeah and obviously growing up like basketball like we, we obviously would have played a bit of basketball in school, but never had. I was always, actually, there's a, there's a family across the road and they have the basketball ring set up outside the, the house. And watching the Jordan documentary, thinking, geez, I'd love to just go over. I just, even for three hours, just... <laughs> just dunk on one of the kids. Well, I need a, I need a, tramp, I need a trampoline to get the, the proper dunk. But just even have a few goals on the, the free throw line. But... Uh, yeah, no, it, it is quality, and obviously, I was I was aware of how good Michael Jordan was, but it's not really to see the footage again. You, you you realize like just unbelievable, and I just love his his appetite and his drive to be the best. And if anyone said anything bad about him, he would use that to like basically go out the next night and ridicule them and humiliate them. So mm. they, you know, you and sometimes he made it up just to give them that extra drive where. There'd be stories going around, you know, this guy said this to me, that's why I played so well. But it turns out that they didn't say it. He just made it up to kind of keep sharp on his focus. But the, yeah, the the little gap in between when he gives up and he starts playing baseball and retraining to... Wait, spoiler alert! <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. Well, look, see, that's the thing. We know what happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, oh, we know yeah, what happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's <laughs> what it is. Cover, cover yourself up. Yeah, yeah. 
it's quality, yeah. Phil got journalistic uh, disclosure for these episodes. You know, this is the way oh, yeah. TV reviewers, Andy, they get these kind of things. But uh, <laughs> well, how many episodes have you guys watched? Well, by the time four. this goes, I think this Monday, this coming week, there's two more coming out. So we'll I've be watched four. Six. Yeah. Up to now, yeah. It's inspirational, though. It is inspirational. Uh, yeah. It's motivating, motivating, and like. I don't want to compare myself to Michael Jordan, but like that kind of that kind of stuff. No, it's like that's a great sentence. Was, no, it reminded me of when I was younger. You know, that kind of having that drive, that kind of that single mindedness, and that. And then you're watching it, and you had these resolutions. Like that's it now. I'm gonna get back to it. I'm gonna try, not not in this competitive way. Just training, fitness, yeah. diet, and then go to bed that night with all this. You know. <laughs> uh, new resolve and then you wake up the next day and you have a fry up and you're back in lock up <laughs> so yeah, gotta yeah. Keep, gotta I keep the Michael Jordan spirit like I just can't get over how pretty much all the footage of him he's always got a cigar in his hand mm-hmm. you know this is life now. his eyes look very red he's blood, yeah. very bloodshot yeah now. but no even like when he was in his prime he was mm. always smoking a cigar he, the, the, the actual the footage and how much uh, footage they have and the access. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, that it was held to this time. You know, it's, yeah. it hasn't been seen before. It's, ah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's unprecedented, the, the access, the fact that, like, it's like cameras being there for Saipan because this was like the bulls breaking up and everyone knew they were breaking up and yet they granted cameras to come in and it's, it would just never happen now. It's, uh, Can you make a case for this, Jerry? I haven't been watching your... Around, I haven't been watching a review of this show, but all right, Andy. Is anyone making a case for, for, the, <laughs> make, for the guy? Make a case for your show. Oh, yeah, and make... Is anyone making a case for Jer- that guy, Jerry? What's his name, Jerry? Jerry Krause. Yeah, is anyone making a case like being In sympathetic towards him? Well, yeah. see, Jerry Reinstorf is getting a free. Passy, I don't know about the later episodes, Phil, but in the first four, Jerry Reinstorf, he was the owner of the Bulls. So, oh, yeah, was, yeah. Ultimately, yeah. the buck stops with him. And if he wanted Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson to stay, he would have told Jerry Krause, here, what are you doing? But he obviously didn't want to pay the lads. He didn't want to pay Jordan. He didn't want to pay <coughs> Pippen. And he didn't want to pay Jackson. Jerry Krause yeah. wanted more credit than he probably deserved. But I think he's getting a bit of a hard time. Plus, he's no longer with us, so he can't defend himself. Uh, everyone else is able to say their piece, you know? Mm. Well, like, I, I want to ask you about, because uh, I love the Pistons. I love that bad boys team and... Uh, you obviously a man of Detroit and you know the culture that was existing in that city. So to what extent did those teams represent the overall Detroit ethic? Definitely. Yeah, it was huge. Uh, um, I think they both fell into each other. The bad boys, the image of Detroit Pistons and the city itself, I think they lent, lent themselves to each other in terms of, um, yeah, that's it was a representation of the people of Detroit. Blue collared, hard work and tough in your face. If they like you, they like you. If they don't like you, they let you know about it. And uh, yeah, they, they were still talking when I was there. They, like it was years later, but they were still talking about that team. And, and yeah, and Detroit Pistons had a good team while I was there too. They had Chauncey Billups and uh, a few, few of the big shot, Mr. Big Shot, Chauncey Billups, a few of the good players. So I was at a few games at the Palace, Palace and Albany Hands. Mm. And uh, yeah, they, they, they still, yeah, it was like that was a great time for Detroit, you know, yeah. back when Crank was Crank was on top of the world and the Pistons were winning everything. It's a funny one because even non basketball fans will know the names like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Mm. Those three teams are iconic, and yet the Pistons won two championships in the middle of all of that when those players yeah. were in their primes. It's kind of like someone made the analogy, and it's a good one Larry Holmes, who was world champion after Muhammad Ali for years but he doesn't quite get the same respect because he came after Ali. Like, it's unfortunate yeah. timing, but... Yeah. Like, it is like, you know, when you watch, like, you just remind how what a great game it is, isn't it? When you're seeing it played like that. And uh, even after, like, we're going, going to YouTube chips, watching, like, Alan Iverson highlights and things like that. It's just... Yeah. So, yeah it was a lot more physical. It was a lot more physical back then as well, I suppose. We're going, to, we're going to be talking about another classic fight today. And as Phil has said in previous shows... Boxing doesn't really change that much. Whereas in basketball, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, there was a lot more physicality. Now it's more three-point shots and finesse and this kind of stuff. So that's one thing that differentiates boxing from most sports. Not much boxing news to talk about, but everyone's always talking about Fury and Wilder and Fury and Joshua Andy. So a lot of conflicting reports coming from different quarters here. But have you got any inside track on what's actually happening there? 
I spoke to Tyson during the weekend. He said he he doesn't know. There's, there's a, like his own personal feelings that nothing will happen until there's you know there's even talk of a fight behind behind closed doors, but he doesn't feel like, his own personal feelings that there won't be anything happen until until this is over. And uh, yeah, he just said there's been been nothing really that they're looking at maybe November for Wilder. But since since we spoke, there's been strong rumors or sources saying that Joshua, his side, have been talking to Fury side. So that's maybe a new development. But uh, I think whatever I, I in my own my own feeling is that whatever fights were even signed and 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 confirmed before this virus, mm. and now up in the air. And I think it's I think it's like it's not. I think everything's back back in play. I don't see yeah. anything being like nailed in stone or set. You know, they're, although there are contracts, they're outdated now. So I don't know if they'll hold up. Hold up. Um, the only one would be Pulev having a mandatory, you know, and that kind of thing would hold up. But it's all up in the air, isn't it? No one really knows what's going to happen. I think in the next couple of weeks, you might see some way. Yeah, well, I think we'll know which way it's going to go if it is going to be fights behind closed doors. Eddie Hearns That's mad to think of that thing. Yeah, I know. Like, but first of all, you're going to hear, you're obviously going to hear all the prompting from the corners. But could mm. you, you imagine Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder? Could you imagine you could hear Tyson Fury talking to Wilder? Yeah, but it'll like, have to, <laughs> well, a lot of fighters do talk to you. It'll yeah. have to be, and if there is no crowd, it'll have to, it will be, maybe it'll be a good tactic for, 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 the, for a fighter if there's no audience there. Yeah. But the thing is, it will never, these fights behind closed doors will all have to be smaller fights in terms of the purses and the money that's required to make them yeah. because all those big fighters require a live, live gate and, you know, even though pay-per-view will probably generate a lot, there's still a lot to be said for the live gate of a fight. Because mm. I, I know the UFC are going ahead with <coughs> Fight Island idea. They actually have a pay-per-view lined up for this month. And as you said, the pay-per-view buys are going to be off the charts. I'm sure if there's no other sport on, non-fight fans will be will throw some money at this because they want to see something. So I think if imagine if they took Fury and Wilder to Saudi Arabia, or whatever, and did it behind closed doors and charged whatever they wanted for the pay-per-view, like it would do serious business. And as Phil said, the entertainment value—if you just mic'd up the two fighters, like the big dancers getting thrown around and all this kind yeah. of stuff—so I think it would. There is some appeal there, but. Just from your perspective, if in if all cars were off the table and you had your choice, would you prefer a fight with Joshua because you've already done the Wilder thing, or would you like to get back in there with Wilder again? I think it's I I have no I actually have no say in the matter anyway. But from from a coaching point of view, it's you just prepare for the challenges there. They both present different challenges. I think Wilder will be a lot better. We're going to go on to talk about a fight now with Joe Goosen coached massively mm-hmm. and there's been talk that Joe Bruce is going to now coach Wilder so that would be a new challenge and an interesting development and, you know an, an interesting subplot to the fight um, but whoever it is you just prepare for them and it doesn't, it doesn't really matter I think Tyson beats them both anyway so just a matter of not a matter of how, like how it's matter, just, just a matter of which way he goes about it and, and doesn't, like, it doesn't really matter who it is you know to me mm. And not to labour the point, but you mentioned Wilder has been speaking a bit and he mentioned that he had a bicep injury during this fight. And obviously, we talked a few months ago about the, the 40 pound costume nonsense. So do you pay much heed to any of that stuff or do you, have you parked it all? Ah, I don't pay much attention to it, but some of it I felt like, some of it it's good to see him say. Like I know it reflects badly on him, but at least he's shown that he has a fighter spirit, you know, that he has that kind of... Um, he's a little bit slightly delusional or whatever it is that he has to believe in something that it wasn't him in there that Tyson didn't do that to him that there was some other external problem or internal problem caused him to lose that way mm-hmm. so it shows that like, and it shows that he has that kind of hardened spirit that he still wants to win in the mind of a champion but there might be some credence to it because like I've only watched the fight maybe three times now or four times and his legs just fall apart. He completely fell apart and he just came apart it seems like. Um, so there might be something to it. I, I, was, I was surprised how, how quickly he unraveled in the fight. Mm. 
it's interesting you mentioned Joe Gibson and his flashy wardrobe. We'll get to him in depth in a, in a few minutes, but Phil, I wonder, I always, I'm always skeptical when fighters change coaches after a loss because it's kind of implying that they're passing the book a little bit, that oh, it wasn't my fault the, the coach got the tactics wrong and Wilder was obviously very quick after that fight to put the blame on Mark Breeland for throwing the towel in. Like, what are your thoughts on that and just the wider Wilder Fury story? Well, the thing is, if Wilder was to change and go with Joe Goosen and then was to, to beat Tyson Fury, then it's seen as a masterstroke. But if he goes out and loses again, then, you know, Deontay Wilder, all the finger of blame is pointed at him. But I know we've talked about it in the past. Yeah, sometimes you'll get whether it's a coach change, maybe somebody will go up a weight because I think the weight didn't suit me. That was my last, uh, the last time I struggled with the weight. So they go up, they'll find different ways. And it is probably a psychology thing that Andy kind of touched on there where fighters are looking for the positive. So Deontay Wilder thinks if I get a new trainer, yeah, I can beat Tyson Fury. Where other fighters would think, yeah, if I change weight, I can become world champion in that weight division. The other weight didn't suit me. I wasn't as strong. So they'll always look for for little things. And, you know, at the moment, people might think that Wilder's making excuses. But if it works out for him, then, you know, he'll get all the plaudits. And obviously the, the change of coach would. But if not, then it'll be just seen as... It was an attempt to try and mastermind a win over a guy that has had his number twice. Obviously, the first one was a draw. It was controversial. Most people felt Fury won it, but there was no doubt about the second fight. But it's um, it's hard to imagine that Wilder is going to cause huge problems for Fury. But with with the right hand, he's always got that puncher's chance. But I'm sure, Andy, if... Uh, the fight was happening again, you'd be wondering what approach they would use. Obviously, see, as well, like a change of coach gets Andy and Sugar Hill guessing a bit, maybe, what what will they do, you know? Will, how will so, they yeah, do it's, it? it's how much can you do, isn't it? Yeah. And how, like, sometimes changing coach can, in the short term, can have a really detrimental effect because you're making a, an adjustment, you're trying, you're learning new things, things you're not comfortable with, and it can affect your confidence because you're not able to execute those things. And um, it might play out, in, like, it might play on his favor that if he goes with Joe Goosen, I think the, 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 what, what they were suggesting is that he'd, he'd stay with um, JDs and Mark Brina, but also bring Goosen as a, just as, as another set of eyes. Um, but if say if say whatever happens, Tyson does fight Joshua, and then in the meantime he can have a couple of tune-up fights with Joe Goosen in in the in the camp, he he will definitely make improvements with Joe Goosen there. There's no doubt about it. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, hopefully some of that will come together before the end of the year, and we can see these fights. Um, you mentioned that fights unlikely to happen, or maybe will fall by the wayside because of this uh, pandemic. Dillian White against Pavekin was supposed to happen. It would have happened last night, but I can't see that fight happening now. And there's a lot of talk about Dillian White fighting behind closed doors. He's up for it. And Andy Ruiz has been mentioned as the opponent for that. So we weren't too impressed with Andy Ruiz, the way he turned up against Joshua for the rematch. But Andy, if those two were in peak physical condition, what do you think of that matchup? Who would you favour there? It's a really interesting fight. Um, I, I, I just, like... It's very hard to have any faith in Andy Ruiz after that performance against Joshua. I don't think he'll ever be as hungry as he was that night. He beat Joshua the first time. And I don't know, Dillian White is like, to me, is is the best fighter not to fight for world title yet. You know, outside of the big three, he might even be better than Wilder. Who knows? Um, so he's like, to me, Dillian White's one of the top heavyweights out there and I'd favour him to beat Ruiz. Phil, what do you reckon? Well, I don't think isolation would be too <laughs> kind to Andy Ruiz because if he was struggling motivation-wise for training, you know, if you don't have that access at the moment, it really all falls down to you. It's all on you and he's shown in the past that he hasn't been willing to put the work in. So, you'd imagine that the best version of Andy Ruiz is an Andy Ruiz that has a proper camp and isn't um, 
fighting behind closed doors. And the problem is with these fights behind closed doors is that we're in a, we're in a pandemic, and you're asking medical staff to come to oversee a boxing match. It's totally unnecessary, you know. Yeah. It's short, purely for entertainment. So until there's like till it completely drops off to where hospital uh, hospitals not overrun. Um, and medical staff are more freed up. Mm. That's 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 I can't see it happening until then because even a, even even if they they will do it and you pay you pay for it on a moral level, it doesn't just just doesn't seem right to be asking you know ambulance and doctors and physicians to come and watch two guys fight when there's people dying. So there, sorry to be a downer. But that's, no, no, that's I, that's it. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Like even. The Premier League, in isolation, feeling the need to sort of rush the football back when seemingly every other league has looked at it and said, "Let's just leave it for a couple of months." It's Phil, isn't it? Phil and the Liverpool fans. They all no, have... no, sure. They're, <laughs> they're going to give Liverpool the title. That's yeah, it'd be grand. That's a given. But oh, I no, actually you don't really win it, do you? Well, you just have to go on and win it next, next. But see, even they're talking. About, you mentioned the the rush to to finish a season, say for the Premier League, for example, to finish this season as if they're going to start next season on time. Like That mm. looks really far away at the moment as well. So my feeling has always been, why not try and finish a season that has nine or ten games left rather than cancel a season that has got so much yeah. played? Then like, surely you can cancel a season that hasn't happened yet. That's a lot easier. And then people say, oh, what about contracts for TV? You, you put them down, you put them... You, basically move the goalposts a year or a season down the road but yeah like it's it's all very uncertain at the moment but I definitely would agree with Janby that it's it does seem strange talking about sport while this is going on but then sport has a way of moving quickly as in a heavyweight fight could get announced it'd be behind closed doors you'd be thinking I'm not really in favour of this and then roll onto the night that it's happening. There you are, screaming at the TV. <laughs> and you're into it. And then you're like, oh, I yeah. missed this. Yeah. But like the yeah. boxing calendar, unlike football and most sports, is formatted in such a way where it's always a blank canvas. Like these fights are just put together sort of ad lib anyway. And last night we were going to have a face to box and Canelo against Saunders. Again, oh, what a fight. Canelo, got, he can't believe he got the decision again. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't think that fight's going to happen because apparently the Golovkin fight is agreed already. So I think those two will just get in the ring in September if possible and Saunders is going to lose out there. Like why Pavekin, yeah. we mentioned Katie Taylor against Amanda Serrano. That was going to be her, her fight of her career so far probably. And again, like it took so long to get that fight made that you have to wonder, is it going to... Fall apart yeah, you can't have that. You can't really have that behind closed doors because it's a money fight for both of them. You mm. know exactly. And you were supposed to have in an ideal world. Jason Quigley was supposed to fight Jack Cullen, so you would have been in Manchester last night, Andy. I've been there. Yeah. How I've are the boys there. keeping? Have you been in touch? Have you got them on a strict yeah. training regime? No, the the Paddy's working with his dad. His dad's trained him a lot, so I'm very fortunate that his dad can can coach him, and they're training a lot. And Paddy's in great shape, but just. He's just got no fight to train for. Jason's training on his own in Donegal. Um, he sends me his videos. I correct the mistakes. But I, I do him like a video review, really, basically, mm-hmm. when he's training. And that's all we do. They're staying fit. They're staying sharp. And they're just waiting. And, and like, whenever there is fights, you know, they'll be ready to go. Jason's eager to fight. Even if it's behind closed doors, he'll be eager to fight Colin. Colin so, we'll just wait and see. Yep. And hopefully we see that soon. For now, it's time to dip back into the archives to relive what Bert Sugar, no less, described as the greatest fight of all time. This is Jose Luis Castillo against Diego Corrales. The WBCWBO unification lightweight title fight. Oh, what a left hook by Castillo! And Corrales is down! The mouthpiece comes out! Come on, come on. You all right? We'll continue. Okay, here we go. Time. Come here. They get the mouthpiece back. It he was in. up at eight. Put it in. There you go. Let's go. Here we go. Joe Gushin trying to get involved. What a dramatic moment here in round ten as Corrales hits the canvas. 
Castillo looking to finish it here. He goes down again. Takes the piece out. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Come there. Come there. You all right? You all right? I'm going to penalize you. Take one point off. Time. One point off here. One point off. One point. Excessive spitting out of the mouthpiece. A point deducted. Come on, come on. You're spitting out the mouthpiece. To make matters even worse now, it ain't dreadful round go. for Corrales. Down two times here in the tenth. Again, Castillo going back to work. And if Corrales can get through this round, the dynamic of the fight has now changed to the point where he may very well need a knockout. With a minute 35 to go, he's got a long way to go, Corrales. But he just hurt Castillo with the right hand, or at least pushed him back. That was astonishing, and he hurts him with a hook. Corrales comes back, a straight right, now Castillo against the ropes. Unbelievable. Evan flows. They're all standing here, and away go. Corrales coming back after being on the canvas twice here in the tent. Castillo steps back. Corrales winging. Castillo's in trouble. Leak steps in, and the fight is over. Corrales with a remarkable, dramatic turnaround to win this fight. Unbelievable. There you have it, the dramatic final round of a quite brilliant world title unification between Jose Luis Castillo and Diego Corrales. Almost 15 years to the day, Cinco de Mayo weekend, 2005. And it more than fit the occasion. We'll go to you first, Phil. We'll probably get into the specifics of this fight as we go here. But just in terms of your top line thoughts, did you enjoy watching this one? Ah, oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I take back what I said about. I think boxing is one of those ones though where you can look back at fights, and it's not like watching back at ninety minutes of a football match where you know the the result from years ago. Where I knew how good this fight was, but even watching it back. And how it finishes is unbelievable. Mm. Like, the odds are stacked against Corrales. Like, there's no way out. Not even Sam Beckett, quantum leaping in, <laughs> can save him in this. And he don't. It's it's unbelievable. Like I, I, I thought you were going to say Samuel Beckett wrote him in a play or something. <laughs> no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you watched Quantum Leap. Am I showing my age? Sorry, people that didn't watch Quantum Leap. Uh, it's, it's a classic. One Quantum of the rare classic. shows that hasn't actually been remade, thank God. But uh, yeah, just the way it finishes, I'm watching it again, and you know, I, was, I almost got goosebumps watching it because it just shouldn't have happened the way it did. But uh, some real good uh, quick thinking as well from Corrales with the with the mouthpiece as well. I'm sure we'll go into that in more detail. But mm. uh, yeah, like, you know, the, the build-up to a fight and they say, what well, this is what's going to happen. And that didn't happen. It was no. It was the classic phone booth fight where two lads just leaning on each other. I thought Tony Weeks, the referee, did a great job. He just let it go because obviously he didn't do the rematch. Now, I know the rematch didn't go as long, but it really shows the importance of having a good referee. And Tony Weeks did a, a top job, obviously. Yeah, we'll get to Weeks as well and Joe Goosen. There's lots of key characters in this one. Andy, I know you love a good classic fight. Did this get the blood pumping where you're like, I want to jump back in there and do some sparring? Yeah, no, no, but like in, in, in the absence of live sport, I'd watched this fight when it happened and I hadn't watched it since. It was always referred to as a classic. Highlights pop up every now and then. This is actually the first time since it actually happened that I sat down and watched the whole fight and I'd forgotten how, how it ended. <laughs> and when he gets a stoppage, and the, <laughs> I jumped up. I was actually watching him better. It was like he got, just got those goose goosebumps. Did you remember it down in my nose? Like, did I you remember who was? Like, oh my god! Yeah, I know. I didn't know. I knew. I knew. I, I knew it was. Possible. I didn't remember the results. So I was just like, it was like it was just uh, a thrilling fight. Oh, amazing! And uh, yeah, like I, I actually don't enjoy those. I admire them because of what they're doing in the ring. Mm. All, all of the shown in the country, but I, I just don't. I actually don't like those fights because, oh, yeah, there was skill, there was a certain amount of skill, but it wasn't 
it wasn't the highest level of skill in terms of the slick part. Like, there's been a lot of fights where you look at, say, you watch Roberto Duran inside the fight. That's pure skill. He can fight in the inside of the ball. So these guys are just basically head on each other's chests mm. and just banging each other, you know? And um, I actually don't, like, I don't admire, I admire the men, but I actually don't admire those fights. But the ending was phenomenal. It was like, I can't remember the line uh, uh, Al Bernstein said, but it's like probably the most dramatic comeback winning a round in history and it could be like you know I, I, I like it was from sensation looks like it's over and he comes back and stops him yeah it's crazy like we probably spend 90% of this talking about the 10th round but just to set the context for people did you guys not- did you guys score the fight ramp around oh Jesus I gave up on that after a couple of rounds I was like I can't even make out who's landing what here but like the lads would be Al Bernstein would be like oh great left tech Good left hook by Corrales and then Castillo's landing three punches in the middle of it. So I was just interested to see how you guys scored round eight. Oh, did, round did, eight. You, did you look at it? Round uh, eight was sensational. Like. Yeah, we'll get to round eight as well. But just the, the pre-context for this, as you said, like most people probably haven't even seen this fight before now and a lot of people definitely haven't watched it since it happened. So this wasn't just the world title unification. This was the cream of the division really because Floyd Mayweather had by this stage moved up in weight. So these were the heirs to the throne basically. In fact, many actually thought Castillo defeated Floyd when the pair met in 2002. Fast forward to 05, and Castillo was the Ring Magazine champion and also the holder of the WBC title. Corrales was the WBO belt holder, a prize he ripped from then undefeated Freitas in blistering fashion. People should look that up as well. As with Castillo, Mayweather was a defining name on Corrales' resume, their 2001 meeting considered by many to be Floyd's best ever performance. It would also prove to be a critical juncture in Corrales' career, the fallout from that showing eventually sparking a split with then-coach Ray Woods. Joe Goosen eventually assumed the reins, but not before guiding Joel Casamayor to a victory over Corrales in 2003. By the time those two rematched a year later, Goosen had swapped corners and would become a firm fixture in Corrales' story. As we've already said, lads, Goosen will be a big topic as we go through this fight, not least his shirt, but... uh, Andy, broadly speaking, I mentioned the Mayweather link there, but these two were very good fighters in their own right. Do you recall there being much buzz around this fight? Because everyone in boxing would have known it's going to be a good clash, but it didn't have any mainstream publicity, yeah, it was really. Just, yeah, it was just before like I really went to America, so um, I, I don't remember there being a much buzz around, but you could tell that insiders knew because you take one look at ringside, that like I love the one thing I love about these old fights. Looking who you can see at ringside, you got Bob Adam, Tab the Buff, Gary yeah. Shaw, Adi Palula, Eric Gomez. You got all the fighters: Jeff Lacey, Shane Mosley, Winky Wright, James Tony, and like the list goes on. And they're excited. They're like fans watching this fight, and they're eager. Chavez, Senior Chavez Junior, mm. and it's like. Uh, yeah, so I think internally, in, uh, you know, there's like there's, there's fights with purists, trade fights, whatever. Yeah. And then there's these big blockbuster fights that don't always live up to hype. But you, I think people knew when this fight was made, it was going to be what it turned out to be, which was a firecracker. Mm. And it's interesting because it was in Cinco de Mayo weekend in Vegas and the night before was the awards dinner. So apparently a lot of the fighters just booked an extra night in the hotel so they could stay and watch this fight and like Chavez was a former I think Castillo sort of made his name as a sparring partner for Chavez Sr so this is kind of a it was kind of a nice thing that he was there ringside cheering him on but just on Castillo Andy do you think he beat Mayweather have you watched that fight closely at all or that's another one for a review, or a review. Mm. it's too long ago in my memory to, to, to say anything definitive you know because, you know, people say De La Hoya beat Mayweather, but if anyone watches that fight back, he definitely didn't. But, like, Castillo, mm. I think you can make a case that he won six rounds anyway. So uh, it probably is one worth revisiting. Uh, round 10, Phil, I think we'll set that aside for a few minutes' time. But just broadly speaking, in terms of how this fight sort of started and the tactics around it, what did you think of the first couple of rounds? Yeah, well, like the the narrative going into the fight is that Corrales is going to try and fight on the outside, use the jab, and within the first thirty seconds, I think Al Bernstein said, pretty much says like, yeah, this is going to be as good. This is going to be better than I thought it was going to be, <laughs> and they're just basically trying to land that left hook. Who can land it first? 
throughout the fight as well, there was a lot of borderline low blows, but actually very few of them were called. Yeah. It wasn't until later in the fight where Tony Weeks pulled up Castillo on one and said that was there was a couple of low ones there, but there had been definitely been lower ones. And the, the thing about it as well is that Corrales' shots were very low. Yeah. I don't, you know, most fighters will have their shorts up high. He has a long torso anyway, but like, yeah, you were saying, the lo- they were considerably low considering his shorts were low. You know, yeah. his belt was actually on his belt, belt mm. line, whereas most fighters, their belt line is up on the tummy. Yeah, and even as good a fight as it was and the, the balls <laughs> on the night, there was actually a lot of empty seats if you looked around and, you know, Senka de Mayo and... Wouldn't have fancied sitting behind Chavez Jr. because he pretty much spent the whole fight on his feet. So you'd be kind of having to look around and see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was getting pretty excited. But uh, yeah, it, it just turned into the, the war. Pretty, It was pretty evident from, from early on. And I mean, I, I don't know what you think, Andy, if watching it back, you know, if the fight had been stopped in the 10th round and Castillo had won it, surely Joe Goose and, and Corrales would get absolutely slated for their tactics. No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, had he got, like, had Tony Weeks waited off when he, when he took the mouthpiece out of his own mouth? <laughs> that's, that's... Uh... <laughs> Did you hear him after the fight? He said, I was trying to hold on to it, but yeah. the gloves, the grip isn't great, so it just fell on the ground. <laughs> Yeah, so I would say, like, Tony Weeks would have been totally justified and no one would have bat, complained and, or bat, bat an eyelid, you know. Um, but we would have been deprived of a sensational sensational comeback. And, no, I don't think they would have been. Sometimes you can have a plan, and I don't know if their plan was, like, it seems like it, their plan actually was to stand in and fight. Mm-hmm. Oh, sometimes yeah, because you, sometimes Gibson you can have said a, it, yeah. yeah. He said it plenty of times. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you have that plan of... Well, look, sometimes as a coach, you have to adjust as well because you can see that it's not suitable. For, you might have a plan to stay on the outside and box, but when you get in there, it's apparent that you have to stay inside because you're not, you're, you don't feel comfortable when you're on the outside. And then as a coach, if you can see that and you, you agree with your fighter or whatever, you might have to, you might have to say, well, we have to, I have to adjust as well. So put your head on his chest because he, as Joe Rooster says at one stage, Castillo was catching with the uppercut all the time on the inside. So he says, he's catching with the uppercut, so... When you go to the body, also come back with a hook to the head. and That way it will nullify his hook. So maybe he made an adjustment. I'm not sure if that would have been the plan going into it, but it became the plan. You know? yeah. So they might have got slated down the line, but I don't think anyone could argue because it was such a back-and-forth fight. No, he did a... Goosen did a very good piece with Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, people should check it out, basically saying that he, they knew... They basically second-guessed the Castillo camp and they predicted that Castillo thought Corrales was coming to box. But Goosen, who was relatively new to the Corrales camp, basically looked at all of Corrales' fights. He, he's not great on the back foot. He looked at Floyd Mayweather, maybe the best back foot fighter of the last 40 years, who struggled to get away from Castillo. He's like, we just have to go and meet this guy head on. And it was actually an ingenious tactic because Castillo, even from a stamina point of view, was probably preparing to walk a guy down. And in retrospect, or like as soon as the bell went, Corrales was right in front of him. So it probably, it probably caught him on the hop. It took him a while to get going. Certainly, yeah. And when you're preparing for a fight, when you when you've got and you got sparring partners who are moving, you know you would have been anticipating that Carlos was going to move, so you would have got brought in sparring partners who are going to box and move, and then he's meeting your face, you know, yeah, chest to chest, and it's a different conditioning. Mm. No, it's Good, like Joe Goosen is like you watch this fight and you see a great corner in it, like not only that he did mention in the bit of this fight that he sparred like something like twenty six rounds one day. So that would tell you that they were preparing for this type of fight, that this was their tactic, that they were going to meet him head on. Mm. So, um, yeah, you, you witness like a great, a great cornerman at his job when you see Joe Rusin in, the, in this fight. Yeah. Do you think he's underrated as a coach? Yeah, I, 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 he's got several world champions. So he's like, he's, he's like still a broadcaster with PBC. So I think he's, he's, he's fairly well rated. Um, just the amount of cool and like cool and calmness in, when he like obviously there's friends under serious pressure, especially mm. with the, halfway through the fight, cuts and a big swelling on Corrales' eye, and 
you know, he's calmly speaking to the doctor and he's, and he's, he's, he's communicating to Corrales and yeah, it, it, it's really, really, and, and the one thing after the second knockdown, when Corrales takes out his mouthpiece, um, obviously Corrales is smart, takes his knee, then there's more time for him to recuperate while they're replacing the mouthpiece and Guten actually goes down the steps to rinse out the mouthpiece. The first mm-hmm. time he pops in the mouthpiece straight away to rinse the mouthpiece, comes back to him and he says to him, Really calm, but a raised eyes are. Uh, excuse me for swearing. Oh, go for it, go for it. What he says, uh, you better fucking get on, get inside of it now, you know. And uh, it was a cool, cool, real cool line. You know? It was. It was, it was like something from yeah. yeah, it was. It was. It was yeah. Totally cinematic, but it was just it was brave tactics from Corrales as much as anyone because Castillo has never been down or had never been down, didn't go down in this fight. And Corrales himself had been shown against Mayweather. He was down five times against Mayweather. So he was stepping into the eye of the storm there. It was, it was brave from him too. And um, it reminded me a bit of Gatti against Ward where Gatti started boxing on the back foot, like moving. And then like ultimately you're going to revert to type. And Corrales, even from the start of this fight, he was never going to box. It was always, he was going to, always going to bite, bite down and, and fight. So I thought that was good. But Andy... Mentioning the surprise and tactics, did you ever have that in your career where you felt you surprised your opponent or your opponent surprised you? Uh, no, I always like um, played the type, I guess. But uh, no, I, I had it a few times because I was such a counterpuncher, and the fighters who would have been aggressive all all their careers come out and try to box you or counterpunch me. Mm. And sometimes it catches you off guard, but sometimes you're actually loving it because you're prepared for such a like an uptight. Like on your back foot, running, 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 and 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 trying to counter, and then then you got all this time in the world. I mean, just like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah, it was a bit like you obviously went about it a very different way. But the Wilder Fury thing, where even though you were saying you were coming to fight him, everyone just assumed that that wasn't true. And then ultimately, when it did happen, he probably you know he probably caught in the hop a little bit. So, um, in terms of the pattern of the fight, like we should probably get to round ten, but the middle rounds kind of developed a little bit of a pattern. Like you said, it wasn't high level, but... I no, thought, I, I thought not, not, not in a no, certain way. No, know, no, I know was, what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. But like, for like Ward Gaddy, for example, and I mentioned, I'm probably going to mention that again, but that fight, it felt like a level up from that one where there seemed to be a little bit more intricacy about how they were picking yeah. up punches on the inside, you know? So Definitely, it, yeah, definitely. No, it was definitely more... It wasn't just a slugfest. There was... There was, there was definitely like... Uh, there was craft behind it, you know, behind it, behind behind the the grit. There was definitely craft, and there was skill. And the, like the reason um, Castillo was able to get those two knockouts, or well, the first knock knockdown anyway, was because he was going to the body with the left hook all night, all night, all night, and then he faints, goes left, yeah. left with the body, and then turns to the chin. It's like Sugar Ray Robinson against Cameron Basilio. It's the same exact same punch, the exact same punch, and it's a punch that you see now from. Most Mexican fighters, but especially uh, Canelo, throws it a lot. He'll, he'll keep throwing that hook to the body, hook to the body, and then all of a sudden it's down and on your chin. And I know it's, that's, pre- that's really interesting, but I know it's premeditated, but do you think, and you know from experience, but are they able to turn that in like midair almost where they see the opening to go to the chin and they kind of pivot just as they're throwing the shot? Or yeah, do they know no, they're sometimes, going? Yeah, they, they know. Sometimes they know they're going to do it. Sometimes they might, they might pivot, but you won't get the same leverage because you always have to stop your motion. You can go down and then it's a different, it's, you know, to turn it up, it's a second. Whereas if you just swing, make it one swing of movement, you get more leverage. That was, it was class. And yeah, Al Bernstein said, a clinic in infighting. And for Corrales, like Castillo was kind of built blocky. And you can see why he liked to fight inside. And he, apparently he was a nightmare to fight on the inside. But for someone like you or Corrales with long arms, was it difficult to get your shots away when you're kind of up chest to chest? Yeah. And that's one thing about Corrales. He, for such a tall arm fight, you can see how... He, and then one time he land, at one time in the fight, and that's short round is, he lands like a peach of a right, short right. But it's only like... It's literally... It is hard to throw shorter shots with long arms. It's very hard. Um, especially when... They're not hooks. If you, if you want to, like, you know, hooks are easy because you can turn them, but straight shots. But Corrales was very effective at it. No, he was great. And, like, it drives me mad when I see Calum Smith fighting as an inside fighter when he's probably got the, the longest arms in the division. But I suppose he's kind of entrenched in that now. Bill, you mentioned yeah. Tony Weeks already. And you've done plenty of these classic game clubs in other sports. And Owen Sheehan has your 
secret man of the match. And even though there's only three people in the ring, I think Tony Weeks deserves a big mention here because if there's any other referee, I don't think this goes down as a classic because he jumps in maybe a handful of times throughout the whole fight. Yeah, also as well, like because he's big Tony Weeks, he can just tell the fighters to split up and they'll, they'll listen to me. Obviously, <laughs> in you know, Spanish too. Yeah, exactly. That's I mean, we're laughing about that, but that that obviously is is a, is a big factor as well that he can communicate efficiently with both fighters, and you know he doesn't have to get in and get his hands dirty. And then when like there, you know, the tenth round. Was it controversial that he he didn't he was would he have been within his rights to disqualify Corrales for the blatant second thrown out? Had he had, he had he had he had he established it earlier in the fight where he was one and one and throughout the fight? Yeah. But I think no, it would have been a sin. It would have been like to, to stop a fight of that 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 quality back and forth like that, you couldn't really to stop it for a disqualification for a low blow when they were both actually doing it. You know, mm. it wasn't, it was a rough and tumble fight. It wasn't like there was one fighter doing it all night. They were both at it. Yeah. Yeah, but even the, the I'm talking about the second mouthpiece. To, like oh, yeah. The, no, had he stopped Corrales, yeah. Not even, I don't know if he was disqual- disqualification, but had he just stopped him? Because yeah. it's, it's a sign that you're finished. Yeah. Like that. You know, you, I'm, I'm done. Take, take my advice and I'm done. So, no, he would have been totally within his rights. Yeah. And you mentioned round eight, Andy, and I think if round ten didn't happen, round eight probably would have been round of the year because it was yeah. it was unbelievable. So a left hook at the end of round seven, if people want to go back and check it. So Castillo's knees are gone. Like Corrales nails him with a lovely left hook, mm. and Corrales himself had been hurting that round. Castillo goes back with cuts, and he'd been stopped on cuts plenty. So going out into the eighth round, he knew Jesus, I better maybe step on the gas here and, and try and get stuck in. And that made for just this unbelievable round, round eight. Yeah, and like, it was, yeah, it, it was unbelievable. Like, and like, he just, he knew because I was starting to swell and he'd been, like, he, he the argument, arguably lost the two rounds previous to that. So, like, he, again, Joe Gooster says now, now it's your time, like, now is your time. Get out there and get him, you know, and uh, it's he went for it. Yeah, 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 it's all about that. So, you know, you, um, as a co- you know, as a coach, you have these phrases or whatever it is that you know what your fighter will respond to, and I think that must have been one of their things. And uh, he did like it was a sensational round, sensational. Mm. And now round ten, which like we probably talk about how round ten affects how people look back at this fight in general, but we mentioned Weeks and his role in this. So after this, so the first knockdown that's a heavy knockdown. And then the second knockdown, I think Corrales is still hurt from the first knockdown. It's almost like momentum thing. Yeah, so he, I think, said, he said he was still buzzed. Because hmm. it wasn't as strong a left that put yeah. him down. But I wonder, is it just retrospective? Because I'd always be sort of safety first. Like, I never blame referees for stopping a fight too early. It's always better too early than too late and that kind of thing. But for some reason, I kind of agreed with Weeks that Corrales was still all right. Like, he got up given out like when when Weeks was taking the point off him for taking his gum shield out uh, Corrales is arguing with him like he's he's alert do you know what I mean so that, almost that showed Weeks that you know this guy's still in there so I think would would you have criticised any referee for stopping that fight after the second knockdown go ahead Phil uh, no I'm like you, you could see that that it's one thing that is a, a sign that a fighter is ready to call it where they spit out the mouthpiece. I mean, mm. think back to Joshua and Ruiz, where there was a few times where Joshua just got rid of the mouthpiece and almost signaled, "I'm done here. This, mm. you know, this isn't going to happen for me tonight." So, yeah, and he, he was slow to put the mouthpiece in. So, you know, that that is one of the telltale signs. And obviously, with the first one, he did well to get up, but he only got up on nine, and you know. He, he could say he was he was in control. He knew what he was doing, but then obviously he gives himself a bit of time to recover. Mm. But Tony Weeks asked him after the first knockdown, "Do you want to continue?" Yeah, you know. So maybe he was thinking then, but I think you do have to take into take into consideration the previous rounds of the fight that you witnessed, knowing that both guys are in it. Corrales mm. arguably winning the fight at that stage. Um, 
but just to be caught. And you got to know the history of the fighter too, in terms yeah. of Addy's right. one of these guys who will go down and come back. And yeah, I think I benefited from that in my career that referees knew that I always had a chance and they would give me the benefit of a doubt, you know, if I was up against it. So I think, yeah, I think you got to take it off. Like, even like, you know, there was some, even after the fight, Castillo had some, he was a little bit, uh, had some, you know, he had a bit of a gripe with the, with the, with the referee's decision to stop the fight. Yeah. He, in his post-fight speech, he says, you know, we get, he gave Corrales pl- plenty of chances. Why not give me a chance? And, a fighter will always say that. I, I, I agree with the stoppage. Like, one more punch. He, I don't, I don't know. Cause, uh, I think you know, that, that, that last punch. He, looked, he was looked indefensible in yeah. that moment, but he could have threw a punch. He could have grabbed. You never know. You never know how these things end up. Like, but, um, it, it was so brave. Clarity of thinking from Tony Weeks to see one fighter fall twice in the round and still stop the other fighter in the same round. You know, he obviously had a very mm-hmm. conclusive thought that he's done. And you'd trust Weeks with that sort of decision. But Andy, from the coaching point of view, so Joe Goosen's after seeing his guy go down heavily, go down twice and come over to the corner twice. Like, it must take some trust level, like a mutual thing between the fighter and the coach where he trusts him to go back out there. Yeah, and I think I, you got to know your fighter, don't you? You got to know know your fighter, like, and uh, and even that, like, like you meant you mentioned the twenty. Yeah, I know you'd be considered. Yeah, exactly. You'd be you'd be concerned for his safety. Mm. Two knockdowns already, and you send him back out. Like you know, his left eye is a mess as well. Yeah, yeah. You might say, like, it has if Goosen calls it there and then, mm. you know, people would say, oh, he probably saved his fighter's career. Yeah. But it, it's a unification fight. Yeah. It's for all the marbles. And you know, you got to know your fighter. And he, uh, like I said, I'd be winning the fight up to that point. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, what, you let, let, let him get stopped if he's going to get stopped. Yeah. But you said earlier that like the 26 round sparring, like Goosen knew what Corrales had put into this camp and what he was able to go through. And I think that almost played into it. What I found most interesting was what he told him to do rather than like you can probably tell us, but your coach is probably going to tell you either go back, go out there and hold, go out there and run, or well, what Goosen told him was go in there and get stuck in, basically. So, yeah. like that's a very I don't think many coaches would have been saying that. Now. No, I think it's it's like get on the inside of him. So you, you sometimes there's safety there, you know, because you're not at the end of the punches. You're not you, sometimes you're more safe up close um, than you are at distance. So maybe that's what he meant. That's how that's how I interpret. What about the what it does for Castillo, where he gives like he lands obviously a flush punch, puts him there once, puts him there again. He's thinking, I've got this now, and then you know the psychology of that that he's thinking most of the guys don't get up. Yeah, I think I think he he really pissed because he got so much time. Corrales got so much time from being knocked down to actually coming back to resuming and fighting between the count taking the knee. Finding the gum shield, going down, rinsing it, down the steps, rinsing it, coming back, getting instruction. And so he must have had maybe 15 seconds, maybe 15 to 18 seconds to recover. And it doesn't sound much, but it makes a difference. And then, but then he was going for the finish, was throwing a huge hook himself and got caught in the midst of doing it, in the act of, of throwing a punch. And then he got hurt himself. Had been hurt already in the fight from the same punch. So. I'm not sure psychologically because it was so quick, wasn't it? The turnaround was so quick. It's not like it happened over a couple of rounds where mm. you have time to actually register the thought of, okay, I've had this guy down now and he's coming back at me. But the fact that it was just so quick and the, and the stuff, it just kind of, kind of came. Like he really really closed the show well, Corrales, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, considering he'd been down twice, already exhausted and fatigued from the fight that it was to come back and stop him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite an effort to finish him. Yeah, I thought that I thought that was a really interesting point that psychologically, Corral, or Castillo must have been thinking much like Wilder against Fury the first night. Or because like, there was also time, there was also time for the referee to take a point because he went around to the judges and saying a point for for, yeah. for deliberately taking out the, the mouthpiece. Mm. But Castillo, I can only imagine. Like when you hit that home run shot and you think that first left hook was beautiful and he must have thought that's it now. Even the fact that he got up from that it's like, oh God. And then put him down he again. Said, 
in a way, he should have been. He should have just said, "Look, two knockdowns and a point for 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 mouthpiece." Let me just jab now. Yeah, you know, I've yeah. seen this fight out, and I'm jabbing him. He's he's done. You know, it was a bit like so. You can, pro- <coughs> you can probably tell us about the vulnerability of sometimes a fighter's probably most susceptible when they're trying to go for a knockout. So when John Jackson had that little bit of success against you. Mm. And you walked him on to this unbelievable hook. So Corrales, it wasn't as if he just walked over and uh, it wasn't as if one punch totally changed things. Like he had to put a combination together to finish that fight. So I just thought it was really impressive. It wasn't as if he, t- he turned the tide entirely. And it's a combination in this fight anyway of um, the power from the punch, but also the fatigue of the previous rounds because mm-hmm. they were both kind of exhausted and, and just spent from the, from, from the effort they'd put in. Yeah. And the epilogue of this fight, so it's kind of like the Gally Ward thing again where I kind of prefer to look at this first fight in isolation because what came after wasn't quite the same. It more so in this case where the rematch happened five months after this one and this was such a brutal fight that that seems like a very quick turnaround. Basically, Gary Shaw and Bob Arum decided we could probably put this on pay-per-view because everyone's talking about it. So they turned it around, had it in September and then... Corrales came in overweight. You know, it wasn't quite the same kind mm. of fight. Like, it, it ended in four rounds. Corrales didn't look himself. So, um, I think the first fight, I think we should probably just remember it for what it was, a classic fight in its own right. And then they were supposed, yeah. to, have a, they were supposed to have a third fight and Castillo came in way overweight, like seven, or, seven and a half pounds and Corrales said, no thanks. So, they didn't, they didn't even have the, the rubber match. So, um, just Sometimes, for, like, sometimes... Like for great fights like this, you mentioned Gary Moore. I'd also put it in that like Rafael Marquez versus Israel Vasquez. Now that that is a high standard of skill as well in that, but just certain styles. There might not be marking names that that sell sell out arenas or get pay per view, but you can just make a match of two fighters that just perfectly gel. And as fans, you know, you just know, or you just know that it potentially could be that and more more often than not those fights they make for you know sensational means like Mm. because similarly uh, and Phil you said it earlier that there wasn't a packed out crowd for this but for the second one there was and like Gally Ward won people knew it was going to be a brilliant fight but they didn't know it was going to be an all time classic and then by the time the second one came around you know huge numbers at the gate huge numbers tuning in so I think that probably skews things as well but just in terms of round 10 and how it shapes our memory of this whole fight. So, like, it's obviously an A-plus fight. I'm not going to ask you, do you think it's underrated or overrated? It's a 10 out of 10. But what kind of fight do you think it's remembered as? Say, for example, the referee does stop it after Corrales is knocked down and Castillo's named the winner. Do, do we still remember this as a, a great fight? Or does it need that round 10 to really pull it over the top? No, I, I think you do need the 10th round because, yeah. you know, it's... It's it's an A fight. It becomes A plus because of the the tenth round. Because as I said earlier on, there's no there's no way Corrales like you're you're as I say you're just in a position with right. He's after getting knocked down twice, point deducted. That's completely changed the scorecards now. His eye is his left eye is almost completely closed. How is he going to get out of this? This is not a a sticky situation. It's almost mission impossible. And it wasn't one punch. It was a few punches. Where does he get the energy to do that and then just finish it off? Because if... Now, I think that the stoppage was perfectly fine because the ropes are holding him up. He's like a ragdoll. That's actually what was referenced in commentary, that he was like a ragdoll with that last punch. He was so vulnerable that Tony Weeks didn't have much choice but to, to stop the fight. But I think, yeah, given what happened in the 10th round, that's what makes it... That's why it makes it so good. The fact that even I was a bit like yourself, Andy, where I obviously remember the fight and I remember it being a great fight, but I kind of had forgotten. For some reason I had in my head, it went another round and I was even thinking, does this go to the scorecards? Or, <laughs> but, but I completely forgot about how Corrales just pulls out of the back. It was unbelievable. Yeah, like it was cinematic almost like even when he when he wins he walks off so coolly like I can imagine if that was me I would have been jumping all over the place but Corrales just, <laughs> he just strolls it, away as if oh, in no. the post fight thing like he's so exhausted he's like Gary Shaw's just like just lean on me just lean on me and he's just like lean on like he's just like la- collapse kind of on him like 
pretending that the hug and the celebrate was actually he's just trying to take a bit of a rest. Mm. So just a final word on it, lads. Like the tragedy of all this, obviously, uh, Corrales passed away on the two-year anniversary of this fight, uh, which is quite poignant. But neither him nor Castillo are in the Hall of Fame. And I think that's a, a, a little bit unfortunate. I think they've probably built up enough. Even Castillo, like his career, haven't pushed Mayweather so close. Loads of world titles. Corrales was brilliant at the lower weights. Very good lightweight as well. So I think that probably ultimately they will get into the Hall of Fame. But Andy, just from your perspective, having watched this fight back and just thought about these guys for a couple of days, like where do you stack it up in, in boxing history? Because this probably stacks up with any fight. Yeah, it's up there. And, and as Phil said, the ending makes it all the much better. Because up to that point, it is a great fight. Up to that point, but just the ending, it just, just puts like a cherry on top of the cake. And it's, it's, it's up there. It's in the conversation. Like Bert Sugar says, it's the greatest fight of all time. I'm not going to like, you can't argue because this is definitely in the conversation as one of the greatest fights of all time in terms of what they, what they do. And, uh, yeah, it's so sad. And like what, the beautiful thing about the fight, um, about Corrales after the fight, he, he actually takes time to stop Jim Gray and say, look, talk about charity research, uh, cancer research and give him a mention to must have been a friend of his who was suffering from cancer. And uh, yeah, I, I, I came across him a couple of times and he seemed like a really nice fella. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a sad, sad, sad loss really that, uh, you know, these guys, they, they, they burn those stars. They burn bright, but they burn out fast, don't they? You know, they're not. Sometimes they're not meant to be here that long, you know. Mm. And like, it's no solace to the family or anything. But like, Gatti is immortalized for those fights. Corrales, similarly, like for in a hundred years and two hundred years, people will still be talking about these fights. So that's mm. a that's a nice thing in one sense. Bill, last word to you. Any any last thoughts before we wrap up here? No, like I, you think of what they went on to do after, and obviously. You mentioned two years later and Corrales suffers that motorbike accident and then you think of Castillo. You know, maybe people wouldn't have been too familiar with him, but then they would have seen him fight Ricky Hatton, which probably would have made him more of a household name because there were so many people tuning in to watch Ricky Hatton and obviously Hatton stopped them quite early. And I actually watched, after I watched the, the Corrales and Castillo fight, I watched back the Hatton fight and yeah, it was just, it was just different. Like it wasn't the same Castillo and Hatton completely outworked him, frustrated him, and then obviously finishes him with a with a body shot. I, also, as well, I know I'm speaking about Hatton. This is the anniversary for when Pacquiao beat Hatton as well. So um, I watched that as well, all two two rounds of it. Yeah, it doesn't take long to watch that one, and no. Mayweather Pacquiao as well. Which um, if Mayweather Pacquiao had been as good as Corrales Castillo, I think we'd still be. We'd still be talking about that one, but um, that's pretty much it. Any, any final thoughts to you, Andy, before we let you go? No, I think we covered it all. It was a sensational fight, and it was great to rewatch it. And uh, if people who haven't watched it, I'm sure they will after hearing this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Jim Gray. He said it's the best fight he's ever seen. And Al Bernstein said it's the best fight he's ever called. And Showtime Boxing is historic. They've had some tremendous fights on that network. So to put it up there... Mm. It shows you what we're talking about and here. One, so. thing, one thing about it is the commentators do a great job as well. Yeah. They actually made it, like, you know, it's like the perfect song. They did a fantastic job. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks as ever, lads. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, guys. Cheers, lads. And thanks to everyone at home for listening. We'll chat to you soon. I ain't no joke, I used to let the mic smoke Now I slam it when I'm gonna make sure it's broke When I'm going, no one gets on Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I set I like to stand in a crowd and watch the people wonder Damn, but think about it, then you understand I'm just an addict, addicted to music Maybe it's a habit, I gotta use it Even if it's jazz or the quiet storm I hook a beat up, convert it into hip-hop form Write a rhyme and graffiti in every show you see me in Deep concentration, cause I'm no comedian Jokers are wild, if you wanna be I treat you like a child and you're gonna be named Another enemy, not even a friend of me Cause you'll get fried in the end when you pretend to be competing Cause I just put your mind on pause and I complete when You compare my rhyme with yours I wake you up and as I stare in your face You seem stunned, remember me? The one you got your idea from But soon you start to suffer The tune will get rougher When you start to stutter That's when you had enough of Fighting it'll make you choke You can't provoke, you can't cope You should've broke because I ain't no joke Joke, 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 joke.
question as serious as cancer who can keep the average dancer hyper as a heart attack nobody's smiling cause you're expressing the rhyme that i'm styling this is what we all sit down to write you can't make it so you take it home break it and bite these pieces and bits of all my hip-hop hits get the style down packed then it's time to switch put my tape on pause and add some more to yours then you figured you're ready for the neighborhood chores the e-m-c-e-e don't even try to be when you come up to speak don't even lie to me you like to exaggerate dream and imaginate then change the rhyme around that could aggravate me so when you see me come up freeze or you'll be one of those seven mcs they think that i'm a new jack but only if they knew that they who think wrong or they who can't do that style that i'm doing they might ruin patterns of paragraphs based on you and you all be dj if anything he play sound familiar i'll wait to e say play him so i'ma have to diss who broke you can get a smack for this i ain't no joke microphone like a grudge be a whole record so the needle don't budge a whole of conversation cause what i invent i nominated my dj the president when i'm see y'all keep a freestyle going steadily to pucker up and whistle my melody but whatever you do don't miss one there'll be another rough rhyme after this one before you know it you're following the fiend waiting for the punchline to get the meaning like before the mural of my story i'm telling nobody beats the arse so stop yelling save it put it in your pocket for later cause i'm moving the crowd and be a rector fader no interruptions till the mic is broke when i'm gone then you can joke cause everything is real on a serious tip keep playing and i get furious quick and i take you for a walk through hell freeze your dome then watch your eyeballs swell guide you out of triple stage darkness when it get dark again then i'ma spark this microphone cause the heat is on you see smoke in the finish when the beat is gone i'm no joke no joke no joke 